It still doesn't replace the future character development we can no longer have with her, but it definitely was nice to get some flashback scenes with Sasha this episode. And honestly, it sort of felt like she maybe even managed to out-crazy Hanja in this episode. <laughs> Hello listeners, and welcome to A Dash of Salt with AJ. I'm your host, Ahsoka Jackson, author, podcaster, poet, and freelance proofreader. I thought I was used to Sasha by now, but oh my goodness the way she tore into those lobsters. Girl was acting like she hadn't eaten in a year. Sapphire said she was like Cookie Monster in that scene, and that is just so accurate. And then we have her swarthy self asking Onyankampon why he's black. I swear, Sasha was like a little child in this episode with that absolute bluntness. And even Jean, who, come to think of it, used to himself have the issue of being very brassy and blunt to where it could aggravate others. Even Jean was giving her a look there. Actually, when I rewatched the scene, about everybody was staring at Sasha. Even Hanja, of all folks. But I actually love how Anya Capone answered her. The man handled it like a pro, and I actually had this darn hilarious smile on his face before answering. And it was neat to see his interactions with Armin as well. I already liked this dude, and someone made a great point about how his embracing of the ethnic differences stands in contrast to the outlook shared by some others in this faction, as we shall see later. Something else I dearly, dearly loved was the material we got at Sasha's gravesite, especially getting to hear Connie talk about her. I've been wondering about the relationship between those two, so I was really glad to finally see it expressed clearly. Sasha was like a twin sister to him. And hearing him say that, and talk about how it felt like half of him was missing, I think that was one of the big moments that turned on the waterworks for me. I know I was wiping my eyes at different points during that episode, and that particular scene just touched my heart so much. Those two really were freaking frack, or thing one and thing two. I always picture that one scene from combat training, where those two pair it off, and it's like they're trying to do janky versions of crane style and I guess mantis style. Again, janky versions. Oh, and another part where I had to wipe my eyes was the scene with Nicolo, and then seeing him get to meet Sasha's family and both grieve and bond with them. That was super, super touching and heartwarming. Speaking of Nicolo, though, what we saw happen right before then, where that one guy was beating him up just because he was Marlin, even though Nicolo had evidently developed something of a bond with our crew by then, and had known them for several years. That just gives yet another demonstration of reality, and how tough this idea of a diplomatic approach was actually going to be. The folks on parties have grudges of their own, and some of them even choose to behave unfairly as well, and will unjustly direct their anger at folks who don't remotely deserve it. So several years after that conversation between the trio, we do get to see signs of hope, like how Sasha's father interacted with Niccolo, but we also see the Eldian soldier who is brutally mistreating Niccolo before Squad Levi intervened. I'm understanding Aaron's concerns better by the second. Anyways, before I leave that section of the episode, someone asked about why Sasha and the others were given proper funerals this time, rather than being cremated like past casualties. And another user, Real Savior Prime, noted that they probably couldn't spare the land back then. That's a fantastic point, especially with what we know about the food shortages and all. And I actually replied to that question myself, and I had that there were probably some additional issues. There was a lot going on at the time, and these were basically mass casualty events where they had to consider the ongoing time threat, 
and unrest and anxiety caused by that. Locate and deal with any wounded or unwounded survivors and recover remains that were crushed, torn apart, or embedded in time vomit. Remember that whole lovely mechanic? Plus, trying to identify remains and locate surviving family in the midst of all of that would be a lot to handle. I think they did what they could, but didn't have the resources and capabilities to provide full-blown burials and all under those circumstances. Plus, we have what that woman told Jeanne about the need to hurry up and get everything clear to avoid an outbreak of disease that would have just caused further loss of life. That's a very different thing than dealing with a total of eight casualties, and on an island that at least is no longer being swarmed with Titans, though they now have the Marlins breathing down their necks instead. They even had enough time to engrave a headstone and all. My other quick note is about that. A user named Adri1 said that the inscription on Sasha's headstone has her name, and then below that it says, Feast and Sleep Eternal. If that's accurate, it's really sweet. Like, it's a sad thing, but also really makes you smile as well. And I'm going to move on to some happier stuff as I wrap up the overall reaction now. I loved Levi's scenes in this episode. Being Hunja's right-hand man and trying to do his best to assist her in dealing with the Marleyans. Then his lines when he was getting the guy to surrender. I just love that freaking unbothered sarcasm and droll sense of humor from him. Like, he's already heard those lines and opinions, so he's just going to preempt them. Hey, welcome to our filthy island of defiled devils. I'm sure we'll get along famously if you like pig urine. People were legit hoping ahead of time that the lines would actually have it as pig urine like we've seen in prior translations. And yep, that's how they rendered it, much to the fandom's delight. And I just realized that with how much Levi loves his tea, it's especially funny and ironic to hear him sarcastically labeling it as pig pee. The scenes with Zeke were also great. I already knew what was actually coming when uh, Levi was talking about the Prime accommodations, although the funny thing is, I already remembered off the top of my head that the Forest of Giant Trees was mentioned in the series to have formerly been a tourist attraction, so it's coming to, to my friend that was kind of appropriate anyway. <laughs> Meanwhile, Zeke's like, this is my hotel? This? I was already busy laughing at that point, so I didn't even catch how theatrically he'd asked the question until Nick Tick commented about some of the Ramaji for that line. His tone and expression were both priceless. And of course we have Levi being like, What? I'm sure you love trees, you grotesque and oversized primate. <laughs> and I'm honestly surprised um, about how things went when Zeke brought up bringing Gabby and Falco. And Levi actually gave him some hope there. Because I was expecting a complete heckano sort of response. Especially after seeing that razor-edged carriage scene and Levi's blunt threat to endanger Zeke's grandparents. They're also Aaron's grandparents, but to be brutally frank, I don't think Aaron is particularly attached to them. Harsh, but I do see his reasons, assuming I'm reading him correctly here. Now, I gotta talk about the animation some here. I already mentioned how wonderful the bullet scene was, and how well done the stuff for the larger uh, firing range scene as a whole was done. You know what else I gotta talk about here? The freaking Titans! First of all, both the scene with Armin's Titan and the actual way the Titan was used were great. It looks awesome, and even better was how neat it was to see that there actually can be less lethal applications for the Colossal Titan. 
Actually, that brings me to an observation that Ritz Senpai passed on to me. Folks have noticed how Bertoldstein has distinct ears, while Armin's edition of the Colossal Titan doesn't. People have theorized that this actually reflects the fact that Armin can't bear to hear the screams of the people he's killing. That catch was an impressive one, and it really made me think. His Titan also has a much sadder face as well, compared to the more stoic and sometimes angry face that Bertolt's version of the Colossal has. A fellow reactor said he looks like a depressed office worker, and despite the dark circumstances, that's still hilariously fitting. I already get myself that Armin as a character is the last one who'd want a power like this anyways, but the ear thing made me really hone in on how brutal it would actually be to have to use the Colossal Titan. He's not just massively destructive. After the initial explosion, it's actually a somewhat slow thing where he's trampling objects and people underfoot. Also, up until Liberia, Aaron has mainly been able to focus his Titan use on fighting either mindless Titans or individual Titan shifters. But things changed in Liberia, and Aaron drew Armin into this as well. Armin, probably the member of Squad Levi least inclined towards violence and combat, had to destroy this whole port area, full of folks, and it looks like it was a combo of military forces and civilians there. Poor Armin. Thanks for that, Aaron. You're a peach. I'm mostly joking here, just because I do think it was necessary. But I'm sure I'd also be extremely agitated in Armin's place, having been dragged into the violence in that way, and to that extent. Before I get too caught up in the sad stuff again, though, I gotta talk about the other Titan sequence we got here. That'll be for the next episode. Alright guys, thanks for listening to you today, and I hope you had a great time. If you're enjoying the podcast, please don't forget to subscribe and turn your notifications on so you get updates. You can help make the podcast more visible for new viewers and listeners by leaving a like, share, comment, or review on whichever platform you use to listen. Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, Amazon Music, social media, etc. Now, be blessed and stay salty.